Well, welcome again to another podcast, Down to Earth, but Heavenly Minded. I'm your host, Irv Risch. And as we move forward, we're going to be going through the entire New Testament. Uh, and with that, we're going to do a commentary afterwards. And uh, with that said, let us just move on to our next section. And thank you for joining me. Chapter 4 And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, 
and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Luke chapter 4 Dia preparation by testing, 4 to 1 and 13 For colon 1 there was never a time in our Lord's life when he was not full of the Holy Spirit, but it is specifically mentioned here in connection with his temptation. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be completely yielded to him and to be completely obedient to every word of God. A person who is filled with the Spirit is emptied of known sin and of self and is richly indwelt by the word of God. As Jesus was returning from the Jordan, where he had been baptized, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, probably the wilderness of Judea, along the west coast of the Dead Sea. For colon 2, 3 there he was tempted for forty days by the devil, days in which our Lord ate nothing. At the end of the forty days came the threefold temptation with which we are more familiar. Actually they took place in three different places, the wilderness, a mountain, and the temple in Jerusalem. The true humanity of Jesus is reflected by the words he was hungry. This was the target of the first temptation. Satan suggested that the Lord should use his divine power to satisfy bodily hunger. The subtlety of the temptation was that the act in itself was perfectly legitimate. But it would have been wrong for Jesus to do it in obedience to Satan, he must act in accordance with the will of his Father. For colon 4 Jesus resisted the temptation by quoting scripture, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. More important than the satisfaction of physical appetite is obedience to God's word. He did not argue. 
Darby said, a single text silences when used in the power of the Spirit. The whole secret of strength in conflict is using the Word of God in the right way. For Colin 5 is 7 in the second temptation, the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. It doesn't take long for Satan to show all he has to offer. It was not the world itself, but the kingdoms of this world he offered. There is a sense in which he does have authority over the kingdoms of this world. Because of man's sin, Satan has become the ruler of this world, John 12 verse 31 and 14 verse 30, 16 11, the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, and the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 verse 2. God has purposed that the kingdoms of this world will one day become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, Revelation 11 verse 15. So Satan was offering to Christ what would eventually be his anyway. But there could be no shortcut to the throne. The cross had to come first. In the counsels of God, the Lord Jesus had to suffer before he could enter into his glory. He could not achieve a legitimate end by a wrong means. Under no circumstances would he worship the devil, no matter what the prize might be. For colon 8 therefore, the Lord quoted Deuteronomy 6 verse 13 to show that as a man he should worship and serve God alone. For colon 9 11 in the third temptation, Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem, to the pinnacle of the temple, and suggested that he throw himself down. Had not God promised in Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 that he would preserve the Messiah? Perhaps Satan was tempting Jesus to present himself as Messiah by performing a sensational stunt. Malachi had predicted that the Messiah would suddenly come to his temple, Malachi 3 verse 1. Here then was Jesus' opportunity to obtain fame and notoriety as the promised deliverer without going to Calvary. 412 For the third time, Jesus resisted temptation by quoting from the Bible. Deuteronomy 6 verse 16 forbade putting God to the test. For 13 Repulsed by the sword of the Spirit, the devil left Jesus until an opportune time. Temptations usually come in spasms rather than in streams. Several additional points should be mentioned in connection with the temptation. 1. The order in Luke differs from that in Matthew. The second and third temptations are reversed, the reason for this is not clear. 2. In all three cases, the end held out was right enough, but the means of obtaining it was wrong. It is always wrong to obey Satan, to worship him or any other created being. It is wrong to tempt God. 3. The first temptation concerned the body, the second the soul, the third the spirit. They appealed respectively to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 4. The three temptations revolve around three of the strongest drives of human existence, physical appetite, desire for power and possessions, and desire for public recognition. How often disciples are tempted to choose a pathway of comfort and ease, to seek a prominent place in the world, and to gain a high position in the church. 5. In all three temptations, Satan used religious language and thus clothed the temptations with a garb of outward respectability. He even quoted scripture, verses 10 and 11. As James Stewart so aptly points out, the study of the temptation narrative illuminates two important points. On the one hand, it proves that temptation is not necessarily sin. On the other hand, the narrative illuminates the great saying of a later disciple, in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted, Hebrews 2 verse 18.
It is sometimes suggested that the temptation would have been meaningless if Jesus was not able to sin. The fact is that Jesus is God, and God cannot sin. The Lord Jesus never relinquished any of the attributes of deity. His deity was veiled during his life on earth, but it was not and could not be laid aside. Some say that as God he could not sin, but as man he could sin. But he is still both God and man, and it is unthinkable that he could sin today. The purpose of the temptation was not to see if he would sin, but to prove that he could not sin. Only a holy, sinless man could be our Redeemer. E a preparation by teaching, 4 to 14 to 30. For 14, 15 between verses 13 and 14 there is a gap of about one year. During this time, the Lord ministered in Judea. The only record of this ministry is in John 2-5. When Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee to begin the second year of his public ministry, his fame spread through all the surrounding region. As he taught in the Jewish synagogues, he was widely acclaimed. For Colon 16 of 21 in Nazareth, his boyhood town, Jesus regularly went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, that is, Saturday. There were two other things which we read that he did regularly. He prayed regularly, Luke 22 verse 39, and he made it a habit to teach others, Mark 10 verse 1. On one visit to the synagogue, he rose to read from the OT scriptures. The attendant handed him the scroll on which Isaiah's prophecy was written. The Lord unrolled the scroll to what we now know as Isaiah 61, and read verse 1 and the first half of verse 2. This passage has always been acknowledged as a description of the ministry of the Messiah. When Jesus said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he was saying in the clearest possible manner that he was the Messiah of Israel. Notice the revolutionary implications of the Messiah's mission. He came to deal with the enormous problems that have afflicted mankind throughout history. Poverty. To preach the gospel to the poor. Sorrow. To heal the brokenhearted. Bondage. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Suffering. And recovery of sight to the blind. Oppression. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. In short, he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the dawning of a new era for this world sighing, sobbing multitudes. He presented himself as the answer to all the ills that torment us. And it is true, whether you think of these ills in a physical sense or in a spiritual sense. Christ is the answer. It is significant that he stopped reading with the words, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He did not add the rest of the words from Isaiah and the day of vengeance of our God. The purpose of his first coming was to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This present age of grace is the accepted time and the day of salvation. When he returns to earth the second time, it will be to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. Note that the acceptable time is spoken of as a year, the vengeance time as a day. For twenty-two the people were obviously impressed. They spoke well of him, having been attracted to him by his gracious words. It was a mystery to them how Joseph's son, the carpenter, had developed so well. For 23 the Lord knew that this popularity was shallow. There was no real appreciation of his true identity or worth. To them, he was just one of their own hometown boys who had made good in Capernaum. He anticipated that they would say to him, Physician, heal yourself. 
Ordinarily, this parable would mean, do for yourself what you have done for others. Cure your own condition, since you claim to cure others. But here the meaning is slightly different. It is explained in the words that follow, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country, that is, Nazareth. It was a scornful challenge for him to perform miracles in Nazareth as he had done elsewhere, and thus save himself from ridicule. For Colin 24, 27 the Lord replied by stating a deep-rooted principle in human affairs, great men are not appreciated in their own neighborhood. He then cited two pointed incidents in the OT where prophets of God were not appreciated by the people of Israel and so were sent to Gentiles. When there was a great famine in Israel, Elijah was not sent to any Jewish widows, though there were plenty of them, but he was sent to a Gentile widow in Sidon. And although many lepers were in Israel when Elisha was ministering, he was not sent to any of them. Instead, he was sent to the Gentile Naaman, captain of the Syrian army. Imagine the impact of Jesus' words on Jewish minds. They placed women, Gentiles, and lepers at the bottom of the social scale. But here the Lord pointedly placed all three above unbelieving Jews. What he was saying was that OT history was about to repeat itself. In spite of his miracles, he would be rejected not only by the city of Nazareth but by the nation of Israel. He would then turn to the Gentiles, just as Elijah and Elisha had done. For 28 the people of Nazareth understood exactly what he meant. They were infuriated by the mere suggestion of favor being shown to Gentiles. Bishop Ryle comments. Man bitterly hates the doctrine of the sovereignty of God which Christ had just declared. God was under no obligation to work miracles among them. For 29, 30 the people thrust him out of the city, to the brow of the hill, intending to throw him down over the cliff. Doubtless this was instigated by Satan as another attempt to destroy the royal heir. But Jesus miraculously walked through the crowd and left the city. His foes were powerless to stop him. As far as we know, he never returned to Nazareth. For, the Son of Man proves his power, for 31-526. A power over an unclean spirit, for 31-37. For a 31-34 Nazareth's loss was Capernaum's gain. The people in the latter city recognized that his teaching was authoritative. His words were convicting and impelling. Verses 31-41 describe a typical Sabbath day in the life of the Lord. They reveal him as master over demons and disease. First he went to the synagogue and there met a man with an unclean demon. The adjective unclean is often used to describe evil spirits. It means that they themselves are impure and that they produce impurity in the lives of their victims. The reality of demon possession is seen in this passage. First there was a cry of terror, let us alone. Then the Spirit showed clear knowledge that Jesus was the Holy One of God who would eventually destroy the hosts of Satan. For 35 Jesus issued a twofold command to the demon, be quiet, and come out of him. The demon did so, after throwing the man to the ground but leaving him unharmed. For 36, 37 the people were amazed. What was different about the words of Jesus that unclean spirits obeyed him? What was that indefinable authority and power with which he spoke? No wonder the reports about him spread throughout the surrounding region. All the physical miracles of Jesus are pictures of similar miracles he performs in the spiritual realm. 
For instance, the following miracles in Luke convey these spiritual lessons. Casting out unclean spirits, 4.31-37, Deliverance from the filth and defilement of sin. Healing Peter's mother-in-law of fever, 4.38-39, Relief from the restlessness and debility caused by sin. Healing of the leper, 5-12-16, Restoration from the loathsomeness and hopelessness of sin, see also 17-11-19. The paralyzed man, 5:17-26, freedom from the paralysis of sin and enablement to serve God. The widow's son raised to life, 7:11-17, sinners are dead in trespasses and sins and need life. See also 8:49-56. The stilling of the storm, 8:22-25, Christ can control the storms that rage in the lives of his disciples. Legion, the demoniac, 8:26-39, sin produces violence and insanity and ostracizes men from civilized society. The Lord brings decency and sanity and fellowship with himself. The woman who touched the hem of his garment, 8:43-48, the impoverishment and depression brought on by sin. Feeding of the 5000, 9:10-17, a sinful world starving for the bread of God. Christ satisfies the need through his disciples. The demon-possessed son, 9-37, 43a, the cruelty and violence of sin, and the healing power of Christ. The woman with the spirit of infirmity, 13-10-17, sin deforms and cripples, but the touch of Jesus brings perfect restoration. The man with dropsy, 14-1-6, sin produces discomfort, distress, and danger. Blind beggar, 18-35-43, sin blinds men to eternal realities. The new birth results in opened eyes. Be a power over fever, 438-39. Next Jesus made a sick call at Simon's house, where Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. As soon as the Lord rebuked the fever, it left her. The cure was not only immediate but complete, since she was able to get up and serve the household. Usually a great fever leaves a person weak and listless. Advocates of a celibate priesthood find little comfort in this passage. Peter was a married man. See a power over diseases and demons, 440-41. For 40 as the Sabbath drew to a close, the people were freed from enforced inactivity, they brought a great number of invalids and demoniacs to him. None came in vain. He healed every one of those who were diseased, and cast out the demons. Many of those who profess to be faith healers today confine their miracles to pre-chosen candidates. Jesus healed every one of them. For 41 the expelled demons knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. But he would not accept the testimony of demons. They must be silenced. They knew that he was the Messiah, but God had other and better instruments to announce the fact. Dia power through itinerant preaching, for colon 42-44. The next day, Jesus retired to a deserted place near Capernaum. The crowd sought till they found him. They urged him not to leave. But he reminded them that he had work to do in the other cities, of Galilee. So from synagogue to synagogue, he went preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. Jesus himself was the king. He desired to reign over them but first they must repent. He would not reign over a people who clung to their sins. This was the obstacle. 
They wanted to be saved from political problems but not from their sins. Well, this ends another one of our podcasts. And until uh, next time, just remember, God is out here. And you can find out all about him in your Bibles. All you have to do is pick it up and read it. I have mine right here. And uh, God is in this Bible. So please read it. With that said, bye for now. Till next time.